turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11 in the Old Testament. Give you a moment there. We are in a series today uh, entitled Jesus Saves. And our goal through this series is to go through the Old Testament book of Isaiah because it is so very much relevant for America today. Uh, It is a prophetic word to a nation before God brings judgment, but also his promise of salvation to a holy remnant of believers. And so we're in that book. And this morning, I want to talk to you about Isaiah chapter 11 and title this message, The Root, the Rain, and the Rest, or simply When the Root Rains. I'm going to talk to you about something in Scripture called the branch or the root of Jesse. But uh, as you turn to Isaiah chapter 11, let me give you some background. I'm going to read to you Revelation chapter 5, verse 4. And the Apostle John sees a vision of the end of it all, everything when it could come together and when everything is going to be made perfect and right again. And he says this, he says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book and written inside and on the back, and it was sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and break its seals? Turn to your neighbor and say, worthy. Who is worthy to open the book and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or even under the earth was able to open this book or to even look into it. And he says, then I began to weep greatly or bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the book and look into it. I began to weep bitterly, greatly, because no one could open this book. And you probably have not wept over a book you have not finished or a movie you could not. Maybe some of you are addicted to TV more than other people. But maybe you didn't, surely, hopefully, have not wept over some unfinished movie or some unfinished book or some book you haven't read yet that you want to read. Now, what is special about this book is that John sees in this moment, he sees in this book is everything made right. In this book, it opens the beginning of the end of when everything that was wrong is made right again. And he says, because no one was found worthy to open it, I began to weep. And a question has been on my mind all week. And as I studied this passage is, Heath, is Christ so desirable to you? Is his reign so desirable to you that you would weep for his rule in your life? Is what Jesus can bring to your life in this world so desirable that like John, you say, I would weep until I found the one who was worthy to make it right? Is Christ so desirable that you would weep for his reign in your life. Let's pray. Father, tonight, this morning, Lord, we just ask for your spirit in this place. God, help me to speak only what you have for me to speak. Holy Spirit, open our ears to hear what you have for us to hear, what the spirit is saying to the churches in these last days. God, we need more of you, Jesus. Lord, we need more of you, more than we even know. We need more of you in our hearts and our minds, over our marriages, over the way we parent our children, Lord, over the way we live in our economy. God, everything that we do, everything that we speak, everything that we think, Lord, we need you. We need you. Lord, be in this place today in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. I love to garden. 
I love to landscape, and uh, as a Missouri boy, now I'm from the South, but then I lived in Missouri most of my life and came back down. My family's all from Louisiana, uh, but uh, there's a little adjustment when in Missouri the weather is not so up and down, and it's not so hot this long, so you can plant all year round. So I found real quick, after many of trials of planting trees and plants and shrubs that often died... Uh, that you can't plant at a certain time of the year in Louisiana. And when you do, you have to water it and water it and water it or whatever. So I have several plants right now in my yard on life support, okay? So that's just the way uh, it's learning curve, I guess. Even a garden. You know, I live out in the country, uh, north of town. And uh, I learned real quick in our, on our land, which we have deer, often I uh, planted some great, beautiful rows of black-eyed peas. And I love to garden. And then one night they're there. And the next night, guess what? They're gone, you know, and so uh, one day it could be scorching heat and you're doing all you can to keep things alive that you've put money and investment and time into. You've tilled it, you've watered it, you've fertilized it, you planted it, it's sweat of your brow. Man, you've tried your best and then boom, no three weeks of no rain in Louisiana or the opposite, three weeks of rain in Louisiana. It's like bipolar, you know, climate here. So you're just doing all you can between the raccoons, the deer, the floods and the torrent and the drought to even have a garden or landscaping. So that's my predicament and confession as your pastor, no? Uh, But, you know, life is very much that way. You will work your whole life to have a good marriage, to provide for your children, to live a good life, to be a good citizen, to be a moral, upright, standing person. You can do everything you can do, and then one day, man, a drought comes, and everything's dried up in your life. It feels like everything's just burning away and fading away, blowing away by the wind. Another time, it could be a flood, or, or maybe the enemy comes and begins to steal things, hopes and dreams and desires, things you've really put a lot of time into building. I wanted this to be better, and I wanted this to work out. I had the best intentions for my life being everything that it should be. But then things happen. Everything that you've pr- produced, everything that you've built, What have you tried for and failed at in your life? You tried to be a good parent, but maybe that didn't work out in the teenage years. You tried to have a good marriage, but that didn't work out in those hard years. You tried to to do a good job as a coworker or or employee, but then the economy struck. What if there was somebody who could do your life better than you? What if there was somebody who could do your life so good and so well that you could just give them your life and say, hey, you, I'm just tired of living my life. You live my life for me and you do it. And they're going to do it so well that when you're going to sit back, it's just going to be like rest. You're just going to watch them live your life and it's going to be just like, man, they can produce that garden. They can plant those trees and it always works. And it always works. And you're going to look back at the end of your life and say, wow, that was glorious. That was awesome. I'm so glad I made that decision. I'm so glad I gave them rule of my life. I want to talk to you about a biblical promise of someone who can do just that. And he's called the root or the branch. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, let me give you the background. God had said he would give a righteous branch. And what does that mean? He told Israel, he said, Israel, this people after uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these 12 tribes that had existed in this nation of Israel, he said, guys, you are like a fruitful vine to me. You are like a big grapevine, a big orchard, and I love you, and I'm producing in you, and I'm giving you everything you need to survive, and I'm even giving you branches or rulers, kings and judges and, and people who would lead you like I hoped I could lead. I'm going to give you a Moses and a Joshua and a Caleb, giving you all these people to lead you. But yet the vine began to turn inward and self-sufficient like we often do. 
And the vine began to wither away, and God began to lament over his poor, poor vineyard that was turning into drought and turning into flood and turning into the enemy coming and stealing. So God said, here's what I have to do. I have to cut this down. You ever had stumps in your yard? You had to cut down, and then they begin to grow again, right? You cut a stump down on some trees in your yard, and they'll begin to sprout new sprouts and begin to grow a new tree. And he says, it's going to be like that. I'm going to cut away this dead, dry thing. And then I'm going to give a new line, a new stump, a new shoot, a new branch is going to come out of this. And he found this one king named David. He said, David, you're I like you, man. You're a man who chases after my heart. You're a man who remembers I'm always God and I'm always king. And I like how you rule my people. And he says, David, here's what I'm going to do for you. There will always be someone on the throne from your family. And he's like, how's that going to happen? How is that going to happen? I mean, how, is you going to, how are you going to promise that someone's going to always be for my family on the throne? He says, there's going to be a righteous branch. And then Isaiah says it this way. So Isaiah comes many years later in a time of desperation, a time when God is cutting the nation away. God is about to come and let the enemy just cut down Israel to the bone, to the ground. But Isaiah tells the church of his day, the believers of his day, says, but there's hope. Listen to this. He says, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Then a shoot will spring forth from the stem. Everybody say stem. Stem or stump of Jesse. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel and strength. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Seven spirit. He says he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He'll not judge by what his eyes see. Nor make decisions by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor. And decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he'll slay the wicked. Also, the righteous will be the belt of his loins and the faithfulness, the belt of his waist. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And the little boy will lead them. Also, the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat like straw, like the ox. The nursing child will even play by the hole of the cobra. A weaned child can put his hand on a viper's den. They will not be hurt nor destroyed in all of my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea, then in that day the nations will resort to the, where? The root of Jesse who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. Everybody say, glorious. His resting place will be glorious. He's saying, there is someone coming who is going to be found worthy. God says, just like I'm cutting this away, something new is about to go. If I look, let me tell you about what the original language says here. He says, in that first part, he says, Guys, there's going to be a shoot or a rod or a branch. And spiritually and and, uh, scripturally speaking, a branch or a rod is always symbolizing a ruler. He said there's going to be a branch or a rod, a stick that comes up out of this tree that I've cut down. And he's going to be a great ruler. And he's going to come from the stump or the family tree of Jesse. Jesse's the father of King David, this great guy that he made this promise to. And he says, and from him, there are going to be many sprouts or many branches, more branches are going to offshoot. And these are going to be his descendants. It's going to be this holy remnant of believers. And because they are connected to the root, they're going to produce fruit because they're connected through the vine, through the branch to the root, their lives 
are going to be so glorious. What if someone in your life, what if someone could take your life and do it better than you? Isaiah sees this guy. He's going to do three things. I'm going to tell you about the perfect ruler, the perfect reign, and the perfect world that God, that Isaiah says, this king's coming. Here's what he says. He says, number one, this guy, this branch, this new guy, he's going to be the perfect king. He's going to be the perfect ruler. Today, you can go and make all the campaign promises you want. Look at the history of America and every country in the world. Everybody thinks they're going to do a great job, right? I'm promising this. No more taxes. And then what does George Bush Sr. do? He had to add taxes because... He couldn't get along. They couldn't get along in the Congress. I'm promising they're never going to be this. And we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And they make all these promises. They'll get a cabinet around them. These are the top leaders, the best people. And then before you know it, one guy's going to jail for this. And one guy's going to jail for this. Another guy's in uh, court for that. I mean, look at it. Every there's who's worthy. And John, the apostle, he looked and he said, who in the world is worthy? The angels begin searching all of heaven. Nope, can't find nobody. They begin to search the earth. Nope, can't find anybody who's worthy to bring everything right, who can eliminate crime, who can bring a perfect economy, who can make everything be the most safest neighborhood and where your kids can play in the streets again. It'll be like wonder years and happy days all over again. It's going to be phenomenal. Nope, can't find anybody. What about even under the earth? We couldn't even, we looked underneath the earth, couldn't even find anybody there. He began to weep and Isaiah says, but I see someone coming. He's worthy to open this thing. He's this eternal king, this prophesied Messiah and priest. And he's coming from a stump, and that stump is from the family line of Jesse, King David. Fast forward a few hundred years, and you'll see that after God had wiped Israel away and cut off the stump and sent them to exile, there'd be 400 years of prophetic silence. God wouldn't be talking to Israel. And in the midst of a first century, when God had almost left Israel completely, we narrow in on a young couple named Joseph and Mary. And guess who they're from? Guess who they can trace their lineage back to? King David. And God would pick them from the stump, this root. He would pick this young couple who were connected to the source, who were longing for God's Messiah to come. And he would say, hey, you're going to have a son. His name's going to be Savior, Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua. He would be born in a town of Bethlehem, but I want you to raise him in a town called Nazareth. And he would be called Jesus the Nazarene. Anybody heard this before? He's born and raised in Nazareth. Jesus the Nazarene. Do you know what the word Nazareth means or the Nazarene? It comes, it means Netzer. It comes from the word Nesser in Hebrew. It means branch. So Jesus is literally born Savior living in the town called Branch. Isn't that good stuff? You can't make this stuff up. God ordains it. He says, there's coming a righteous branch from the root, the stump of King David's lineage. And you go to the first century, and what do you find? A young couple born from the line of King David after God had cut everything away. And they would raise this young son in the town called Branch Nazareth. And he would be full of the Holy Spirit in a way like no one had ever been full of the Holy Spirit before. Isaiah said he would have sevenfold the Holy Spirit. A spirit of wisdom and counsel and strength and knowledge and fear of the Lord. Like no one had ever had a relationship with God before. And John, the apostle said in John chapter 1, he said, We saw him, we beheld him full of grace and truth. He was the begotten of the Father, the Logos, the Word of God made flesh. He had the fullness of God in bodily form. There was no man like this guy. And so right there, Isaiah's prophecy is already fulfilled. He was from the line of David. 
from the root, the stump of Jesse. He was born in a town, but he was raised in a town called the branch. And he had the fullness of the Holy Spirit seven times over. He would be the perfect ruler. And while no one else could bring perfection to the world, this guy would eliminate the lawlessness of the world. He would have not only the perfect ruler, he'd be the most qualified ruler. He'd be no candidate like this candidate. He would have the perfect rule, the perfect reign. Look at this. Think about that song. I was listening uh, to that song, uh, Imagine, right, by John Lennon. And uh, while you may like it, it's a huge billboard records, right? And a lot of people think it's kind of a socialist agenda or whatever. Uh, you can think of a day, man, wouldn't that be awesome? A day when there's no more crime and we could share and be nice to each other. And he says this, and he says in the song, he says, I, I, can you imagine a day of no hell, no heaven, no countries, no war, no religion, world peace, no greed, no property, no possessions. We all just share and get along. Wouldn't that be nice? And in the world today, here's this problem. You're going to see it right now in, in local news. We can eliminate authority. We can defund certain things. We can do all these things. And we can pretend that we can make a wonderful utopia. Wouldn't that be nice? We just everybody get along. But one thing we forget is that evil actually exists. The world is blatantly ignorant to this one fact that they and we are the very problem that causes problems in this world, right? Let's have a day. Let's have a, a, a certain zone in a city where everybody gets along. Let's have a certain time where we can. No, we don't need people with guns. We don't need people with military. Let's just get everybody out and let's just all have a happy utopia. And here's the problem. In 10,000 years of human civilization, has anyone ever made it accomplished? Anybody know of any citizens, cities around the world, countries where there's no crime and everybody gets along? Why? Because we have sin. There's a problem in the nature of humanity. It's called a sin issue. And evil, real evil, actually exists. You can ignore it. You can turn it away. You can pretend it doesn't happen. But there's a problem here, and we need a solution. And John says, who's worthy to deal with this problem? You need a perfect ruler. And that perfect ruler is going to have a perfect reign. And this perfect reign... It's going to be that utopia that everyone longed for. Number one, it would come with salvation. He says he's going to defend and save the poor in spirit. He's going to come to people who are truly repentant. And he's not going to rely on his five senses to determine out who's a real Christian and who's not a Christian. He's going to be able to look into the very heart of man and say, do you love me? And he's going to know. You can play church all you want. You can give morning to the poor. You can do all these things. But he's going to know. Are you truly repentant of sin? Do you truly long for my rule and my reign in your life? Do you love me? And he's going to say, well, I never knew you to some. And he's going to say, come on in to others. He's going to determine by the very heart. You can try to elect a candidate your very best by all the political rhetoric they give you. But no one knows the heart of man but God. Amen. You can choose the best relationship partner. You can go into business with someone. You can think you're making the best decision. But only God knows the heart. And he says, I'm going to look into their hearts and I'm going to find those who are poor, the poor in spirit. And he says, number two, he's going to judge with total perfection. His total reign is going to be ushered in through the judgment, the judgment of sin upon sinners. Think of it this way. It says, Isaiah says, by the rod of his mouth, he will slay the wicked. John, the revelator, sees that one day when Jesus comes and all the armies and kingdoms of man stand opposed to King Jesus when he steps on that Mount of Olives and splits that eastern sky and comes for his people. He says, by one word, just one word from his mouth, men will fall as dead. That's power. 
That's not nuclear weapons. That's not our, uh, F-15, 16 bombers. It's not stealth fighters. It is one word from this guy's mouth. And every person, every wicked thing that stands against him, it will be wiped away as if it never was. And then one moment and one day, he's going to take that old serpent, the devil. He's going to bind him in chains for eternity. He's going to throw him in a lake of fire and all wickedness will cease to exist. Man, this king, perfect reign with perfect judgment. And in his kingdom, there will be no crime. All lawlessness will be destroyed eternally in hell. What does that mean? It means no sinner will be able to enter his kingdom and ruin it. You think about this because this seems very harsh. You say, well, we're not perfect. He says, but those who will not allow them to be changed, those who will not come under his rule or his reign, those who decide to live their life their own way, there'll be no room for them in his kingdom. Why? Because we would ruin it. If one sinner made it to heaven, heaven would cease to be heaven. Do you understand? If one sinner entered heaven, heaven would cease to be heaven because that sin would corrupt and it's like a virus. You know, it's like a virus. It goes from one to the other, to the other, to the other. It corrupts the very nature of perfection. It sets itself against a holy and righteous God who reigns and rules perfectly and ushers in peace and love and joy and everything good. And so not one sinner will be allowed. Not one sin will be allowed in heaven. Heaven has strict immigration policies. I'll leave that there. There'll be no room in his kingdom for doing life your own way. We should take note of that in this kingdom right now. A lot of times in Christianity, you want to have the best of God, but still do life your own way. But in heaven, when he finally comes, there'll be no room left for you doing your life your own way. Because there's only one way to do it, and that's his way. Somebody say amen. This perfect ruler will have a perfect reign, and he'll finally create a perfect world. And it won't be a lost world called Jurassic Park, but it'll be that lost world called Eden. It'll be an ushering in of peaceful perfection. Look what he says there in those last couple of verses, how he sees the animals changing. He says, I see a new earthly nature. It says nature is going to be redeemed and reconciled to man. You know, if you go to an abandoned island where no one has ever been, you can like walk up to animals and like pet them and they will come to you. They're not scared of you. You ever notice this? Well, if you find nature, go somewhere that nobody lives You can walk up to a deer. You can walk up to many things because why? There's no fear of man in them. They've never met man. You know that we're the ones corrupting the world. You notice this? We're the ones corrupting the world. And it says, I see a new day where where even in Louisiana, you can hunt without fear of snakes and mosquitoes and wasps and hogs. You can swim in any river you want to swim in and nothing's going to bite you or attach to you. There's nothing. All of nature will be redeemed and renewed. Everything will be made good. Think about Jesus who rode on an untamed donkey on his entrance into Palm Sunday. If you've ever tried to bridle a young horse that's never been ridden before, you'll find real quick you'll be on the ground somewhere, probably. Here's Jesus, he, Prince of Peace, finds a colt never been ridden before, throws a blanket over it and rides that thing all the way up and down a mountain into the city of God with hundreds, maybe thousands of people shouting. Why? He's the Prince of Peace. Everything comes under his dominion and order. 
It's peaceful perfection. Earth will have a new nature. Not only will he tame the beast in this world, but Jesus will tame the beast in man. We'll have a new redeemed body. Everything and every tongue will confess that there is a God and they'll have his God nature. They'll not kill or feed on their lusts. He'll make a new nature. He'll make a new nation. In this nation, Isaiah says, I see a day coming when every tribe, tongue, and people will begin to resort to the root of Jesse, coming under his rule. And that day began in Acts chapter 2. Listen to me. When the gospel of the kingdom began to be preached from that day on, from Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth, people from every tribe, nation, and tongue over the last 2,000 years have been coming to say, Jesus, how should I live? Jesus, I've tried to build this garden. I've tried to tend this flower. I've tried to build my life. But the flood comes and the torrent comes and the drought comes and the enemy comes and everything keeps getting washed away. But if I can give my life to you, can you live it better than me? Isn't that what you're doing in the church today? Isn't that what you're here for? Jesus, help me to be a better father. Jesus, help me to be a better mother. Jesus, help me to be more moral and upright. Jesus, tell me how to think. Tell me how to feel. Jesus, I need your wisdom to make a decision in my life. Jesus, I need your power to love this person who seems to be unlovable. Jesus, I need your understanding of justice in an unjust world, of perfection in an imperfect world. And he says, since that day, he says, I see the nations coming and that he will be a standard, a flag, a banner. You know what the Bible says that in the Gospel of John? That Jesus was raised up. He says, you'll see it. The moment I'm raised up, I'll draw all nations to myself. That's what Jesus did on that cross. Listen to me. When they lifted him up on that cross, he became a banner, a symbol, a place of rest. That all who come to him, he says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Your life, when you come to me, will be glorious. And he said, how? You have to take my yoke. That means my authority. You have to take off the way you do life, the way you think about life, and the way you want to talk to your spouse, the way you want to raise your kids, the way you want to vote, the way you want to talk to that coworker, the way you want to spend your money. You take all that off, and you come to me. And my burden, you'll find out real quick, is lighter. It's easier. It's more glorious if you'll just come to me. Anybody ever found out going Jesus' way is a lot easier, a lot better? You don't make as many mistakes coming back around again. When you trust Him with your finances, aren't your finances better? When you trust Him with your tongue, isn't your relationships better with other people? When you turn the other cheek, and even though you don't want to turn the other cheek, even though you feel like you should post that thing, and even though you feel like you should say that thing back, isn't it better when you let Him take over? Why? Because His way is glorious. He's the only one who can rule and reign and create things with perfection. What if there was someone who could do your life better than you? What if when they were done with it, you could look back and say, wow, that life he led for me, it was glorious. You see, you don't lead your life in Christianity. You don't come in here and add Jesus on to you. You come in you and surrender and say, Lord, lead through me. God, live through me. Holy Spirit, live through me. Paul said, I died daily. I am crucified with Christ. It is not I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I live now by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's what it's all about, church. Coming unto the rule and the reign of him. What area in your life do you need to surrender his rule to? I'll close with this. Zechariah came a few years after Isaiah gave this great prophecy of this future king. 
this branch. He said, there's coming this vine, this new vine. He says, when he comes, he's going to rebuild the temple of God. It won't be an earthly temple with bricks and mortars. It's going to be a new temple, a living temple. You know what Jesus came and said in John chapter 15? He said, I am that true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But every branch he bears fruit, he prunes it so it may be more fruitful. And he goes on, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides or remains has a relationship in me, has nutrients and is connected to the source of God's spirit in me. And I in him, he bears much fruit. Remember, apart from me, you can do nothing. Don't you want a life that's glorious? Don't you want to look back and say, man, our marriage is blessed because we gave it to Jesus. My kids are blessed. Our relationship with our kids are blessed because we had a Jesus-centered relationship. Man, my finances are blessed because, man, I have a Jesus-centered finances. Man, my, I'm blessed as a coworker, even if my boss is a heathen. I am blessed in my job because I am Jesus-centered in my job. Is that what you want in your life? Somebody say amen. amen. Man, His way is glorious. What area are you so desperate for his rule in that you would weep for? That's my question. John said, I see this book. Nobody was worthy. So I wept until I heard it was him. It was the the Lion of Judah. It was the Lamb of God. He came and he began to open up the beginning of the end. Church, that's where we are, by the way. We're in those end times. But do you want God to say, God, take my mouth, take my mind. Maybe it's your motivation in your heart. Maybe it's that material possessions that you need or need God to take over. What area you say, God, I'm weeping for. I I remember times in my life where I struggled with addiction, struggled with thought pattern, struggled with issues so much. I remember just saying, I am so sick of thinking this way. I'm so sick of feeling this way. And for hours, I'd be every day on my face saying, God, I want you. God, I want you. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. There are kids cutting themselves. There are kids hurting themselves. There are people in this life that say, this life doesn't work. We have an epidemic of suicide. We have an epidemic of opioids. We have an epidemic of drugs. We have an epidemic of violence in marriage. We have all these things that we veg out in front of the TV just to get away from life. Why? Because our way doesn't work, church. We say, God, I come to you. Take my mind, take my mouth, take my motivations, take my material possessions, and Lord, I submit to your way of thinking, living, and doing because your way is glorious. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Worship team, would you come? Father, today, Lord Jesus, maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're here today, and if you were to die today, the Bible says that we are all appointed to die and then to be judged. And we'll be judged on our knowledge of Him. Not by our works, whether we were a good person or a moral, upstanding person, whether we went to church or gave, but whether we had a loving relationship with Him, that we were in love with Him, that we abided in His source and His supply, that we submitted our life to His rule and His reign. Will you be perfect absolutely not he will be perfect through you every day as a christian it is a continual death to self and continue trusting into him he's perfect because you and i can't be perfect 
I'll never be perfect, but he's perfect. And when we get to heaven, his perfection will rule and reign in us completely. Until then, it is in continual will, a continual desire, a continual trust to say, Jesus, your way is better. My life is a statement, not of me being perfect, but that I desire his rule and reign in my life. That's what it means to be a Christian. That I desire his rule, his reign in my life. Every day, every time my flesh rises up, no flesh, I'm struggling against you. I desire his thought. I desire his way. I desire his, he's good, he's, clean, he's perfect. His will is good, pleasing and perfect. So we become living sacrifices. Do you want that in your life today? Maybe you've never made that decision. Today is the first time. You can say, dear Jesus, I want you to be Lord and Master of my life. I surrender to you. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the beauty of heaven, the rose of Sharon. He is the dew of, of, of God's blessing, the river of life. He's what I want. He's what I need. I believe in Him. I trust in Him. I give my life to Him. You're here today and say, Pastor, I want to make that decision for the first time. Or maybe it's been a long time since you've been into church or any building where you felt this way, but God is tugging on your heart. Your chest is maybe beating. You're, you feel that urging of the Holy Spirit. You say, I need to make that decision and get my life in the right place. There is no more important thing you can do than right now get everything right with Jesus. He's just lift a hand up, put it right back down, say, hey, pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not going to embarrass you or do anything weird with you. Just say, amen. Anybody else? You say, hey, that's me. Amen. Anybody else? You say, hey, pastor, would you pray for me? Hallelujah, Lord God. Holy are you, Lord Jesus. Worthy are you, O God. Father, you see these hands. You know who needs to make it right with you. Maybe there's one that didn't feel bold enough yet to lift their hands. But Father, I pray you be merciful with them and gracious to them. Lord, in this moment, we begin to pray from our hearts. And I'm going to ask you all across the building, you don't have to repeat after me, or it's not some special prayer that you pray, but you are just simply making a willful choice to ask God to be Lord of your life and surrender your way to His and invite the Holy Spirit to come into your spirit, into your heart, into your mind. And that's just something you do on your own, however you feel it. A simple prayer. It's just a simple prayer, but it comes from your heart. And I'm going to lead, and you can pray like me, but say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Be Lord, Savior, Master of my life. Thank you for calling me friend. I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit so I will do what the Bible says, to love God, to love others. Lord, give me your nature. Renew my mind. Help me every day, Lord, to make the choice to crucify my flesh and trust in your way. Trust in your way by faith that your way is better than my way. I believe in faith that your way is better than my way. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for all my sins, that there is no works left to be done for me to get to heaven, but simply trust in the work of Jesus Christ. And Father, I ask you right now, from this day forward and every day, fill me with the Holy Spirit more and more and more. Holy Spirit, baptize me, I pray. Holy Spirit, fill me, I pray, that I will be overflowing with you. If you pray a prayer like that, and that's your everyday cry, you're saved. That's all it takes from your heart. Maybe you're here today, secondly, and you say, Pastor Heath, there is an area of my life, my mind, my mouth, my motivation, or my material possessions. I need Jesus' rule and reign in. I'm going to raise my hand for all of them, by the way. You say, hey, that's me. I'm going to give that area to Christ. I'm just going to make an altar right where I am. God, that's you. You know, you and God, right now, you just give that to the Lord. 
God, take my mouth, take my mind, take my motivation, take my material possessions. I want your thoughts, not my thoughts. Your feelings. I don't know, maybe somebody's done something to you, maybe somebody's hurt you, but get God's feelings. Maybe there's a situation financially you can't figure out. Get God's thoughts. Maybe there's an issue in your marriage or your relationship with your in-laws or your family or your children and you want to say certain things. God, give me your mouth. God, give me your mouth. Your way is glorious. Your way is glorious. Can we begin to just pray that over our families today? Lord, give us your way, your glorious way. Help us to be better husbands and wives. Help us to be better parents, oh God. Your way is glorious. Lord, help us to be better workers. Help us to be better family members. Help us to be better citizens in this dark day we live. God, give us your thoughts, your word, your thoughts, oh God. Your feelings, your emotions, Father. Give us your wisdom. God, your way is glorious, Lord. We are fruitful in you. Fruitful in you. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. And as a response, to, we're going to sing this song. It's called Heart of Worship. Coming back to, to him and to how it always should be. To know that he makes everything new and right. I don't know what you're going through today, but man, Jesus has got the answer. He's the answer. Amen? Let's just come to him in a, as a statement of faith. If you need prayer today, you're always welcome to come to the front. We'll be here to pray with you. Let's sing this.